You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to episode four of our show where we discuss the latest news about Apple, iPhone, iPad, and Mac. We're recording on Wednesday, February 18th, 2015. Topics for today's show include the Apple Car Rumors and Minivan Project, is the Apple Watch Edition Apple's most expensive product ever, the proposed FAA drone regulations, Modern Family records an entire episode with iPhone 6 and iPad Air 2, we have Apple Pay News, Sony Smart Eyeglasses, and more. We have with us this week Apple Insider Senior Editor Mikey Campbell. Hey Mikey, thanks for joining us. Hey Steven, how's it going? It's good. And again, we have contributing editor Victor Marks. Hey, Victor. Cowabunga. <laughs> Very good. And I'm Stephen Robles. So let's jump into it. Apple's making a car, supposedly. We had a couple articles this week about Apple's continued minivan project and the Apple car rumors. There's been lots of sightings and Apple Insider's gotten some pictures from readers of these minivans with the roof-mounted cameras and GPS systems. And there's been several reports from us and others that Apple has several hundred workers designing a new electric car. And even the Wall Street Journal reported uh, that Apple is supposedly working on an electric car. So I'd love to get your guys' thoughts on this. And uh, But I would like to propose a theory first. I tweeted this out. And, um, you know, Apple's spaceship campus, round circle, a floor very well could be dedicated to a test track for the new electric car. I don't really believe that, but I just thought it was a funny theory. Anyway, Victor, you have some thoughts on the um, vans and cars. What do you think? Well, first to address your theory, Stephen, yeah. that's awesome if all you ever need to do is turn left. <laughs> that is true. Well, you could turn around and well, go right. You could, turn, you could turn right if you're going <gasps> counter, or if you're going clockwise. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Well, I suppose so. Well, there you go. I, th- I don't know if Apple's building a car or not. The question that I've already answered, though, is does Apple have consumer permission to build a car? And I think the answer is absolutely yes. That uh, when you say to someone, you know, would you have Apple if they built a car? And uh, people I've asked have said, why not? They build everything else. I like everything else they've made. I could certainly have an Apple car. And I've heard a couple of people compare it to, you know, when Apple was rumored to make a phone. Everybody was saying <laughs> Apple can't just come into the phone market or phone business and expect well, to make one. That was that was Ed Colligan, who was the head of Palm at the time, saying the PC guys aren't just going to come here and make one. And the PC guys did. But the thing to remember is that a- Apple is not a company that first and foremost makes computing gadgets. Apple is a company that first and foremost tries to solve a problem that they identified, a problem that people have or that people could be doing better. And then prevent a, present a solution for that. So what, what do you think this problem is? Just being more green or energy well, savings? Uh, transportation is hugely inefficient, uh, both in terms of how we move people around and how we get from point to point. And it's, it's also pretty unrefined. You know, yes, we have leather seats. Yes, we have heated seats. Yes, we have these, these kinds of ways of getting about. But nothing has appreciably changed to make the experience better over the past century. I vote, it's, it's gotten you know better and closed, but it's not fantastic. I vote they work on the Hyperloop. But uh, Mikey, what do you think? I mean, do you, do you uh, really believe Apple's making a car? I personally don't. I mean, they perhaps they could be working on something um, having to do with the tech within a car or maybe even 
something that could be used in a production vehicle, but um, uh, an entire car, I don't think they'd be interested in marketing something like that. Um, as for the, uh, the the rumors that, you know, they just started with um, the Wall Street Journal's report on the electric car made by Apple, um, it just doesn't jibe with the test vehicles that we're seeing out there right now. Um, they, it, it could be two different projects is what they're, is what's actually going on. That's kind of the way I'm leaning right now. Um, I personally think that the, um, the vehicles on the road that we see are for Apple maps. Yeah. And, I, um, I'm, I'm with you there. I'm, I, yeah. I'm pretty sure the vans are, are Apple maps, but they're just, the car rumors are just coming to a head. So yeah, it, this, um, I mean, there, there was a, not, not, not as much of a fervor, um, a couple of years ago about the Apple car, but there was, you know, uh, some rumbling. So, I mean, you know, maybe Apple does have some sort of automotive, uh, section. I mean, who knows? They're just so gigantic. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to tell. You know, it's interesting though, with, with the Apple watch coming up so soon, you would really think to hear more rumors about the watch than you would about a a product that we've never really heard much about until the past couple of weeks. It just seems well, like I disagree. Time. Yeah, I think I, I th- disagree. Yeah. The watch is fairly well known. The watch has been announced. There's not a whole lot to worry about a rumor for it other than pricing rumors. Uh, yeah, but even to see like supply chain leaks or, you know, case or whatever kind of third party accessory leaks you usually see leading up to a Apple device launch. It just seems relatively quiet. We've heard more about the developers and what they're doing with WatchKit, but not not well, so that, much hardware. That that could be um, part of the problem. I mean, maybe there aren't as many. Uh, maybe Apple's keeping it on lockdown, uh, and so people have to glom on to these other rumors. I and mean, a car is quite a fantastic rumor, um, and one not to be uh, not to be poo poo. So, in terms of accessories for watches, you're going to see things like screen protector films. Clearly, you're going to see replacement bands that are going to be third-party bands that will come probably maybe some doc docs. Um, there there will probably be some people who will maybe make a dock for it because you need to charge the thing mm-hmm. um although the first one you'll see will be simply one that locates the apple cable within a an enclosure around it so you simply put it on right the existing cable no one's going to be doing a third-party cable right away no no and other than that it, it, a real question is what would you make for this thing and what would you forecast for your production run when you don't know what the sales of the thing are going to look like no but but you have specs on the size of the device and usually that's all third party accessory you, makers need <laughs> no but the third party accessories are making for products that they have a history of a sales forecast for you know when when the iPhone came out there was a little bit of a hesitancy to make the first case, but when the second iPhone, the iPhone 3G came, everyone knew exactly what to expect out of an iPhone launch for sales, and they knew how to forecast how many they should make of the thing. The watch product is a new product. It's a new product range. It's entirely hard to figure out what the anticipated sales ought to be. Do you know to how to forecast what your production run should be? Right. And this is a problem also with some of the dying products. Like uh, in years past, there was, were the iPod Nanos. And, you know, the sixth gen iPod Nano was terrible to make cases for. We're traditionally making cases for iPods at Mid Smart. 
you didn't do it for that one because the only thing that sold for that iPod 6th gen was the watch bands that people made. <laughs> right, which is so ironic now, looking back at it. We've come full circle. Yes. But it's, let's continue on with the watch real quick. And I'll mention another article that we ran and was going around that the Apple Watch Edition, the 18 karat gold one, will be the most expensive product Apple has ever released. And I know there's, there were a lot of people that tweeted at us and commented in the forums, uh, mentioning some other Apple products that were expensive in the past, like the the Mac 2, which started around nine grand, the TAM, which was uh, $7,500, and a couple of the models that definitely was inching near that, that 10,000 mark. And uh, I did a little research, and, and I learned recently that Victor and Mikey are watch guys, so I'll let you hash it out, the two of you. But, you know, there's the, uh, I looked up some 18 karat gold watches that might be comparable, such like the Rolex Daytona Cosmograph, which is an 18 karat gold face and body, but it's a leather band. And that actually prices around $19,950. You you didn't get that on the 18 karat gold bracelet? You were looking for the leather band for that one, were you? Yeah, I, I was got, I was trying to find, you know, because the Apple pictures there, edition version with the leather band. So I was trying to find something equivalent. And there was the, is it Bulgari? Is that how you say it? Bulgari. Bulgari, yeah. Bulgari. You don't pronounce the V, it's a U. But uh, the Octo Solo Tempo prices at almost at $24,000. Again, 18 karat gold uh, face and leather band. So those are a couple of models of 18 karat gold watches that are out there now. And obviously there's cheaper versions as well. But uh, I'm curious what you guys think. You picked wisely picking the Rolex because the Rolex is a watch that is in wide distribution and the Tiffany and company and the Bulgari are less so. Right, right. You know, I would have told you to look for a date just in gold or a rose gold day date on um, on leather would have been a good comparable watch. And those those are in your 8000 to 10000 and up kind of price range. Yeah, I mean, you got, you got to think that... Uh with those prices, you're you're definitely not just paying for the 18 karat gold. I mean, we have to look at the um, the complications that you're using inside the watches, and definitely the the one from Rolex is going to be priced much higher than what um, the uh, digital version is going to be in the in the Apple Watch. And plus, uh, you know, those manufacturers put premiums on um, those more exotic uh, metals and diamonds and stuff than say a company like applewood which is more of a consumer facing company um so it's kind of it's, it's kind of hard to uh glean any information by uh by by comparing the the apple watch edition to um to one of those major watch uh so watch the the thing that i think of here is that uh, there's there's Every man version. There's the per- version that, that you're going to buy, and I know you will. There's you. the version that is an exclusive. And, and what makes things exclusive, what makes things in part luxurious is how they're constructed, but also the scarcity of them. And you also, you also have to remember, it's going to come in two sizes. So even the $350 lowest price point is for the smaller size. So even those sport edition watches and the the standard Apple Watch, uh, those are going to be several price tiers due to the size of the screen on the watch. You don't watch. know that. Yeah, it, it could. Um, if they go with the traditional watch uh, route, um, uh, you know, watchmakers like Omega and um, even Rolex, they're, 
their prices are comparable on uh, the watch faces. But then again, they're not using a screen. Right, it's not a touchscreen. <laughs> I, I disagree with the, with the position that says that the, the larger size is going to cost more. Because I, I think that they're, when you're talking about a watch, you're aiming at what's suitable for women versus what's suitable for men. Men traditionally wear a larger sized watch. And you're not going to charge differently based on that gender differentiation, even if the bill of materials cost is slightly more. I, I'm just hard-pressed to remember a time when... I, I would expect that the small sizes. model and the large model within the same product range for the watch may well be the same. Really? On a, on a, uh, on a lateral uh, a note, uh, what, if, uh, what if Apple sold, um, sold them in pairs, you know, like a his and hers kind of thing, kind of like Cartier does? That'd be interesting. <laughs> buy one, get one? Very. Well, not buy no, one, no, get I one, but his and hers yeah, yeah, as a hers. bundle. Yeah. Maybe. I'm... A, I'm gonna have to go on the record and say I'm pretty sure pricing is gonna be different for the different screen sizes, but we'll. we'll, we'll I don't see. Ooh, ooh. So, so Shots how much fired. do you expect it to be different? Go ahead and make a prediction. What's your number? I mean, I could say it could be as little as a hundred dollars. You know, we see that. I see. I, I think you're coming up that the wrong way. I think it's as much as a hundred dollars. What if yeah. it's less? I think it could be like fifty if they do that yes. at all. But you know, in every line that Apple has, screen size and memory are the the tiers. You know. So I just, and it's just the larger components. So yes, but those typically don't have a strong his and her association. It depends where, where this does. Yeah, it, it depends on how they market. I mean, they're um, the rumors are that they're trying to push it as a fashion accessory. So if they do that, it, everything is going to be completely different from what they're how they're uh, marketing things now, right? It's it's going to be they're going to be playing even more on emotion rather than. Um, you know, uh, a pragmatic look at, at pricing. So, um, in All that right, well, sense, I yeah. When they announce the pricing, Victor, we will have a a champion <laughs> a champion emerge. A couple more stories we had: the FAA proposed some new rules to restrict drone use, and um, they have some rules such as drones cannot weigh more than fifty five pounds, not fly more than one hundred miles per hour a maximum altitude of 500 feet, and a line of sight requirement. And these proposals um, would also mean a drone pilot would have to be 17 years old, at least, and uh, might even have to be vetted by the TSA. And we all know that the TSA is wonderful at and courteous in their dealings with people. But wait, but wait, did, did they say anything about um, my, my Hellfire uh, missile payloads? <laughs> I didn't say anything about that. Good to know. Uh, I believe they did say they cannot be weaponized. Oh, come on. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think they did. But um, obviously this affected Amazon. Yeah, TSA wants their hands in everything. They've been uh, clamping down on civil aviation and, and hobbyist pilots for years, making life difficult for, for people of that hobby. Uh, it, it does harm Amazon and Amazon's commercial use, the, the whole notion of delivery. And I think Amazon, you, you remember this, Stephen? Amazon said that they were going to seek out other countries with more favorable regulation. Oh, really? I did not see that. But I think it does speak to how much time and effort Amazon must have been putting in to researching their drone program to be as kind of put off by these <laughs> proposals as they were. So I thought that was interesting. You, you can fly by GPS, and even the hobbyist drones permit flying by GPS, pre-programming a route, pre-programming heights, and, uh, and having it go out and then come back, right. and you only monitor it during the course of that. And the line of sight requirement, 
is is based on this idea that the pilot is always in control of the thing and that there's no pre-programmed flight path. Right, right. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it, there there is logic in that. I mean, you don't want uh, a malfunctioning drone to uh, fly into someone's face. Right, um, right. So, I mean, there's, there's an excellent there. wedding video of that. Yes, I've seen it. It's uh, it's good <laughs> stuff. I'll have to YouTube that. But these are, these are proposed rules. These have not actually passed or been accepted yet, if, if I'm correct. Yeah, not yet. So it'll take them a year. So yeah, I was about to say I have seen I have seen a lot more people with drones. Actually, I mean, just people of all ages just kind of going into parks and flying these things around. So it seems like they're gaining some popularity. Another story we had this week I thought was really interesting: Modern Family TV show. An upcoming episode they will be airing on February 25th was shot entirely with iPhone 6 and iPad Air 2, and the entire show takes place on what looks like an OS X desktop in iMessage and FaceTime apps. I thought this was pretty cool. Not the first time iOS devices were used in professional filming situations. There was the Bentley commercial uh, this past year, and Burberry, they filmed uh, the entire some Women's Wear Show, I believe, in 2013 on the iPhone 5S. I think they actually did that before the 5S was released to the public. Um, yeah. So they shot their whole thing on that. And it also reminds me of Austin Mann is a popular photographer, and he took the iPhone 6 Plus when it came out to Iceland and got some amazing photography and video footage from there. So uh, just another cool thing. You don't really see this with um, with other devices. You really see this with, with Apple Apple stuff. Well, Apple saw other people leading the way on this, and they, they actually produced their own video. You may remember the uh, the one that they shot over a period of about three days. Yes, yes. Around the world, all using iPhone 5s at the time. Yeah, that was the, an amazing uh, video. The, the Bentley commercial we covered at Apple Insider a year ago, and I, I actually have gathered about the same equipment that they used to shoot that. They they shot with a uh, a camera frame called a Beast Grip Pro. They put. Uh, fisheye lenses on it and they they suspended it from the side of the car using a mount and did all kinds of cool tricks with that thing and uh that's great you should also remember the sundance the sundance movie that was shot on a 5s using an anamorphic lens that was actually a kickstarter and indiegogo project this this uh iphoneography and iphone videography is a huge thing and you can accomplish a lot with the devices and that's great i'll actually um i'll get the links from you victor and we'll put the links to those um get those accessories that they used uh, in the Bentley ad or whatever applicable is now to the iPhone 6. I will put them in show notes. Um, but yeah, they, it just it blows me away. And I, I, if you get a chance, I will, I'll link to that, um, the movie Apple made. I watched the movie and then the behind the scenes uh, where they showed how they filmed it all and how the director was FaceTiming the camera people in the field while they were filming. It was uh, it's pretty amazing what they did there. What's interesting about the Modern Family show is that they built a, uh, a fake OS X Yosemite environment that they then overlaid the footage that was shot on the iPhone 6s and the iPads and MacBook Pros. They... Um, I'm not certain exactly why they made a fake Yosemite environment, but they they did it so that they could show off the continuity feature and and make it all work just to the the level that they wanted to show. That's interesting. Well, I'd be curious to see. That comes out again Wednesday, February 25th on ABC. So you can see that there. Now, we have a couple other stories that we could cover. I know um, Victor has a Sony rant in the holster 
that uh, we could use. <laughs> so I will just mention real quick, uh, Apple Pay, we had an article today go up, and then uh, 20 more banks here in the U.S. have begun um, using Apple Pay, several credit unions and such, so I'll link to that. And uh, also interesting statistic, uh, Staples, the store, actually find that uh, 30% of their sales through the app, the iOS app, comes from Apple Pay, but it has not picked up so much in the store. And um, I don't, the Staples, actually, I've been to, uh, don't have the NFC in the store yet. So I don't know if that's just how, how would you a know? skewed. I mean, I tried to pay. They just didn't have it at the, <laughs> at the point of sale. Okay. So they, they have to upgrade their point of sale to handle EMV, which is the, uh, the chip and pin or chip and signature. Right path for the cards, the new cards that have chips on them. And when they make that upgrade, they should also be installing at the same time readers that have both the EMV slot and the Apple Pay NFC reader in it. Right. But the thing is, um, the thing is with Staples is that they're uh, they're acquiring signatures with um, Apple Pay payments in uh, a lot of their stores. So it makes the uh, ease of use, it kind of negates that. It it slows the transaction down. It's just as it's just as convenient as paying with a credit card at that point. Are they requiring it for all um, I'm not amounts? Sure if they're for all, uh, I'm sorry for all. Um, I think it's probably the same as the uh, credit card processing. So amounts over what twenty dollars or something. Okay. Is is there some local regulation that's causing them to do that? Because there was a, a legislature in, I think Missouri, who was trying to propose something like that. Yeah, there there was, but uh, it's not a. Uh, it's not a local thing. I think it's a it's a retail thing on their side. It's a Staples thing. Yeah. I will say using a debit card with Apple Pay can be just as inconvenient as a credit card sometimes, or using your physical debit card because you still have to put your pin in and say, no, I don't want cash, yada, yada. So I tend to use credit that, cards with Is Apple that Pay. so when you use a debit card with Apple Pay, you still need to enter in a pin? Yeah. Your touch ID doesn't cover it? At Walgreens, it still gives you 18 different steps. You have to enter your PIN, say, no, I don't want cash back. I want to talk with you about that offline. Okay. okay. I mean, it might just be my bank. The, um, the, the cool thing is that it's the in-app process is so convenient. Now, I've used Apple Pay for Uber and Lyft, and, and that's pretty much been it. And in-app, it's been very slick. Yeah. Uh, that's probably why Staples is seeing that happen, is, is that the in-app experience for checking out is that slick. Yeah, and Starbucks it works. Starbucks just added that to their app too, and uh, I used that earlier today, so that was pretty convenient, much faster. It's on it's on it's on a par with uh, with PayPal's um, implementation. So it's a bit easier, I'd say. Yeah, I just like the Touch ID being the the way to enter your password, quote unquote. So Sony, we'll end with Sony. We had a uh, article go up about the smart eyeglasses that Sony later this year is going to begin shipping uh, developer-focused Google Glass-type glasses, but they also uh, are splitting off their audio and video divisions, they announced, I believe that was today. Uh, so Sony is you know, kind of narrowing their slot in what they're actually producing, but this smart eyeglasses thing, I, I don't understand why they feel they need to do it, but... I know Victor has some thoughts on Sony, so I'll let you go for it. So uh, Sony, there, there, there was old Sony, and old Sony produced beautiful, classic things. These were the kinds of things that, that Steve Jobs respected and would have had in his home, right? The, the wood-grained reel-to-reel, the elegant speakers, the original Walkman that, well, maybe not a high-design object, was just 
the the epitome of solving the problem and being the only right, thing, right. nothing extra, right? And Sony lost its way and then became <laughs> Crazy Sony. And Crazy Sony made one of everything for everybody and even made several of things for everybody that fought with each other. So the networking division within Sony would make an MP3 player and it would work as you'd expect an MP3 player to work. The audio division within Sony would say, we need to make a music player, but we need to use a special format, <laughs> implement our own DRM and put a thousand stumbling blocks in the way of the user because we need to protect our yeah. music business. And you'd see them on pegs in stores side by side. The music version of Sony mm. and the networking group version of Sony. And they were wildly different. These, these crazy Sony was, was entertaining, but wacky and, and bound to be failure just because it was so, so bizarre. I mean, some beautiful things came out of it, like the original Sony cell phone that was a square that had a small arm that flipped down to be the microphone. Or you may remember there was the, um, the radio project. There was the radio project that they made that was the size of a USB stick and had a USB connector and had a button on it and an LCD. And every time you pressed the button, a little dot appeared on the LCD. And the idea was you'd listen to the radio station and every time you heard a song come on, you'd press the button. And then you'd go back to your computer later and offload these dots into your computer and it would tell you what songs were playing on the radio stations you were listening to at those times. Sort of like a prehistoric version of Shazam. I, I even remember a time when the Sony Vio laptops were actually decent products. And if someone was going to get a PC instead of a Mac, I would almost encourage them to do that. They were pretty highly priced. The, the two products you would get, if you were going to buy a PC, you bought an IBM ThinkPad or you bought right, a Sony yeah, exactly. Vio. I even remember walking into Sony stores in the mall and uh, maybe this was 10 years ago, but it was it was almost the, a similar feeling as walking into an Apple store, uh, but just way more products. You can go into the Sony theater room and you got Sony TVs and home theater systems and you can go to the music area and see the players and the headphones. And it was it was quite an experience. The only Sony store I ever saw was in the Metreon in San Francisco. Well, that's the best uh, one. I never saw one anywhere else. Well, the one in Japan is quite impressive. Right, well, yeah. Well, I'm you would bring that. that up, wouldn't you? <laughs> God. <laughs> Look, I'm just saying. Yeah, of course they would be, but... Uh, domo. domo. I, don't, I don't know what they're doing with the, with the eyeglasses or what the purpose is there, so... Well, you know, it, it, the side shot that they issued looks fantastic. You almost want to paste in new on the CW and make it a, a superhero <laughs> show. Um, that's true. <laughs> they, they look almost like they were influenced by Oakley at some point. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's Sony is just so out of touch with what's going on right now in the consumer electronics market. So they've been that way for a while since maybe Qualia. Okay. So uh, as we're recording this uh, on Wednesday, um, reading, we just got an art article go up that uh, Samsung acquired LoopPay. Uh, which is a mobile payment service uh, possibly to take on Apple Pay. And uh, they had some more trailers released recently about the new Samsung Galaxy S6. So be curious to see what they do with that in the next year. So the, the people that are going to win payments are the people that make the transaction as short as possible. And currently that's Apple Pay with Touch ID when you don't have retailers implementing things like signature requirements and other things that lengthen the transaction or uh, the, the inputting of the PIN code on the screen. If, if you can make it as quick a transaction as possible, you win. 
with with Google Wallet, there are a lot more steps. With whatever Looped Pay is going to become in Samsung's hands, there are predictably at least one more step because they don't have Touch ID. It's not only a, a usability thing. It's also um, it's also a a question of where can you use these, and also how secure and how easy it is to set up. Yeah. I think I think yeah I think um, secure the secure factor security and um, is probably one of the one of the bigger issues right now. Well, I was just thinking like with the um, MXC and the currency app that will be coming out that a lot of the big names like Best Buy and Walmart MCX Uh, MCX um, the payment they're coming out with you have to register your checking account information including your routing number and all that and i just feel like that barrier to entry is going to be a little tight because with apple pay you just take a picture of your card and currency is also reliant on qr codes and and Steve, Stephen, when yeah. was the last time mikey when was the last time you intentionally scanned a qr code in a retail setting uh I don't think I've ever done that because I have thumbs that I can um, type things with. It's much faster than opening an app and trying to fiddle with it. So, Mikey, where can people find you on the internet? Um, you can find me at uh, Apple Insider, of course, and on Twitter at, at MikeyCampbell81. All right, thanks. And Victor, where can people find you? I am at VMarks on Twitter. And I'm Stephen Robles. You can find me on Twitter at Stephen Robles. And of course, follow Apple Insider at Apple Insider there on Twitter. Tweet at us. If we ask questions for discussion, definitely interact with us there. And maybe we can use some of your responses here on the show. If you have some topics you'd like to suggest, go ahead and tweet at us there. Subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. Thank you all for keeping us in the top rankings in the iTunes technology category. We've had a lot of positive responses, and please continue to do it. Tell your friends to subscribe and rate us with five stars and uh, keep us up there in the rankings. We appreciate it. And thanks for tuning in this week. We look forward to talking with you next week. Bye.